Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 113th episode in a show called Missile Assault, which is a bad reference to pro wrestling for those in the know, and it also applies to our developer team for Assault Android Cactus. Today is Monday, October 5th, and we are going to talk to Tim Dawson, artist slash programmer, Sanatan Mishnah designer from Witchbeam Studio. So welcome, guys. Thank you so much for being on the show. Excited to uh, to have you and share your game with everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having thank us. you for having us. All right. So you know what I'm going to ask. What is the news of the week? What's going on with you guys? Um. Well, I've been playing some games this week that's my my news of the week a couple <laughs> awesome australian games. made yeah australian made games there have been a lot of them coming out lately lately okay. um so there was uh ninja pizza girl came out for some friends of ours that live up on the sunshine coast which is a wonderful kind of old school style platformer that's uh wrapped in this really interesting story about bullying and emotional resilience and another great game from some folks over in adelaide called expand came out that's uh very minimalist puzzle platformer almost and they're they've both been really enjoyable and that's basically been my the, the crux of my week is uh relaxing after the cactus came out and playing games that my friends made awesome very cool so cool and uh my my, my news of the week is i finally managed to get um because uh, it took a little bit of took a little bit of a breather with the game um launching but um I finally managed to get uh, controller disconnection and some other things working. Little, some of the little features for the first update, I've, uh, which feels good because I was in a bit of a, a programming slump. So I, I finally managed to crack a problem there. So that's my, that's my, uh, my news. <laughs> How does that work with a programming slump? I've heard of artistic, you know, having artistic. Uh you know, creative slumps, but how does a programming slump work? It's it's surprisingly similar, which I can say from from <laughs> from walking both sides. Um, you just get a, you get just get to a point where you're trying to solve a problem, and you're just kind of beating your head against it. And um, you know, the the code you're trying to think, well, how do I approach this? And it's just the the ideas aren't flowing, and it's and it's just feeling really really hard to make any kind of progress. Um, I try to do like uh, it's one of those ones where you often wake up with a, after a good night's sleep or go for a walk or you know have a good shower and you go oh okay that's how I should do it. It's like a you get stuck in yeah, a pattern yeah. I think. And, and Inspiration you, yeah. hits you. Awesome. Well, in a little while we will try co-op uh, with my partner here Tinzian, and he will play single player after a while because honestly. Uh, you probably want to describe things as we go. But frankly, I get excited playing, and it's hard for me to concentrate on the questions I'm asking and your answers while I'm frantically running for my life. So so <laughs> we'll let him take over, and then later on uh, we'll have the experts, you guys, uh, show us how it's done with your own screen share of the game for some other levels that I won't have access to right now. Okay, so education. Let's, let's go with Sinatra. Uh, 2012 yep. Olympics, Castle of Illusion, uh, you've been in the industry, I think, roughly nine years, if I read your uh, info correctly. So what, yeah. what would you think makes a successful game, and how do you, how do you, think, uh, you know, how do you think it's going right now with Assault Android Cactus? I guess it depends how you define success in a lot of ways. So at a bigger studio, success was uh, purely 
financially driven in terms of how they would define it, just why we were uh, able to make such horrible decisions as releasing a PC version of the Olympics game, which only had Xbox controller icons, um, even though you were meant to play it on keyboard and mouse. Oh. So... Was it a port that, issue, or...? Well, that, that was just like they, they didn't think it was worth the money to uh, implement actual proper icons for people playing on keyboard, because... It would cost more than it would make them. Um, so if you define success like that, then it's difficult to say. But I, I define success as making something that's, uh, that's worthwhile, that, that's valuable, that it exists. And I think Cactus is a success in that regard. Awesome. So Tim, Rapag, working on Dukes of Hazard, L.A. Noir, and then both of you, I understand Sega Studios Australia, but tell me how, how that was for you meeting and how do you guys form the decision to make your own company? Yes, yeah, so I mean the, the three of us have had, had uh, different paths through the, the industry. Um, I, uh, Jeff Jeff um, started as a uh, working in Canada on uh, EA games back uh, on the Mega Drive. I started in Adelaide working at um, yeah Ratbag working on um, yeah Dukes of Hazard, which is a PS2 Xbox game. And uh, Knight came in um, as um, and I started as an animator. Jeff started as a Sound guy and um, now you started as a tester, right? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I moved into design after about six months. Yeah, so we've all kind of had our path through the, the industry. I, I jumped between a few different companies. Jeff jumped between a lot more, and um, yeah, I came up to Brisbane um, to work at Pandemic, which was uh, working on a a. Uh, it was actually a, a tie-in to the the uh, uh, Dark Knight film that never happened. It got cancelled, and after that, after that studio got shut down. Um, I bounced around a couple of studios and ended up at Sega, which was in Brisbane as well. And so that's where we all crossed paths. <laughs> and uh, Jeff, Jeff left first, actually. He, he, he went off to pursue other things. Um, I, I, I resigned partway through a project and Nat resigned a bit afterwards. But, um, yeah, so Nat and, uh, Nat and I decided we really, really wanted to pursue our own game development. So that's, that was where the, kind of, the seed of it all started. Um, I had this prototype um, that had been kicking around, which was Cactus, which kind of became was Cactus, I guess. And um, fairly soon after that, we we actually talked to Jeff about um, being this you know, pro sound guy that we knew uh, for advice on how to, to to find a good way to get a score for our game and to, <laughs> do, to do the audio. And to our surprise, he was actually really keen to be involved in it. So we ended up becoming a three-person company. So that was a so we kind of, we all crossed paths and knew each other and then decided to kind of reunite for, for Witch Beam. Awesome. Well, I believe that Jeff works on multiple projects at first, as well as this at the same time, or mm. how, does, how does that go? Yeah, yeah. Jeff's been, uh, I mean, Jeff's been doing a lot of stuff in terms of, uh, he's, he's worked for different companies, different stuff, and he's been doing more freelancing, which he kind of really likes. He's really into the indie space at the moment. He, uh, he he's so bad though, right? Yeah, yeah, he won a BAFTA for is it? That was the one of the Total War uh, games, wasn't it? Do you, not, do you remember the? I don't remember which one specifically it was because he's done the soundtrack to those for about ten years. Um, yeah, but yeah, so. it was for his work on the Total War franchise because he did, and, you know, Shogun and Med Two and all those games. Med Two, I think, was was uh, one of the most amazing ones personally. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's had a long connection with um, Creative Assembly. He was uh, audio directing for Alien Isolation remotely. You know, so the rest of the teams in the in uh, England, and he's in Australia. <laughs> yeah. 
and um, but he's he's been really into the indie space, like he's enjoying that kind of um, that kind of space, and so uh, he he did the soundtrack on uh, Hand of Fate, which came out recently, and yeah. uh, and Submerged, which is another Australian studio. Um, but the difference is that he's a he's a founding member of Witchbeam, so uh, he's been doing uh, kind of contract work and kind of bouncing around. But he's he's like uh, Cactus is is he's he's fully invested in that one, so it's a bit special. <laughs> well, jumping into that for a second, describing the game, uh, it's been said it's an arcade style twin stick shooter starring an unwitting team, in my words of androids caught in a ship full of murderous robots. So how would you describe it if you had to put it in your own words? Um, this is something we've struggled with, actually, over the time. <laughs> it's it's kind of morphed because I, I guess you struggle to describe the literal what it is versus the kind of, I guess, pitching it to people. Tim, do you want to have a go? Yeah, I mean, the the kind of... The, the things I t- try to stress, it's an arcade, it's an arcade-style twin-stick shooter. Um, and it's uh, some of the phrasing we normally use is it's it's set in a vivid sci-fi universe because that's kind of the two things. It's it's an arcade twin, twin stick shooter and it's also got a bit of um, a background and a story and a setting and it's a it's a little bit more complex than your kind of standard um, uh, arena shooter or um, abstract shooter. And that's that's the two halves I think of characters for me. Um, yeah, I think what sets it apart from the other games in that space is the. The nature of all the systems in the game are pushing towards this kind of hyper-aggressive gameplay. You know, we've taken elements from the Japanese style of shoot 'em up, which it's really rare to find those kind of elements into the the more Western-style twin-stick experience. So, um, you know, in place of lives, we have the battery system. So it's kind of pushing you to play very aggressively and hunt down the enemies and destroy them. In a similar style to in the Japanese games, you have the screen that's pushing you constantly. Um, so it's less about evasion and running away and finding like a convenient space on the map where you don't get attacked from any angles and more about destroying everything as it comes at you. Okay. I want to take the, a moment. One, one, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, one, one of the interesting things about the development is we didn't really set out to, to give it a gimmick or kind of say this is, this is what makes the game different. There are differences with the game that you know, other games don't tend to have, the battery mechanics and some of the, some of the systems. But every one of them came out of. Um, we started with the problem of, of making this this twin stick shooter that felt good, and then we kind of almost um, deconstructed a lot of the the problems and why you would do things certain ways. So everything everything in Cactus is built up because it's actually reinforcing this this kind of feeling that we want from the game, which I think is why a lot of people think it's very good and why it comes across so well. But uh, it means it doesn't lend itself easily to say, oh, it's a game where we did this one thing because we just, I wouldn't say finessed, but we, we kind of rebuilt it and restructured it until we ended up with what we've got. And it's been a really interesting iterative process rather than starting with, with a single idea. I'm going to pause you for a moment because I would like Tinzian to showcase this thing that you are now describing so people can truly understand it, I think, visually is the best way to really put your words into uh actual experience. So hang on, I'm switching, so Tinjin, you can sit here. People can see you. No, you don't need to use the controller. You can use the real keyboard. I'm a single player. I'm letting him use the keyboard for this one until we do co-op. Okay. (laughs) Before you do that. 
Okay, now I can ask you questions while he, uh, he plays single player so people can see what you're talking about here. So, Witchbeam Studio, you all are about two years old now as a studio, and you decided to get together and explained that, I believe that Tim had this idea for, for Cactus. Why is this the game that you decided to create first? Is it just the one that you kind of had fully developed closest in your mind when you decided that? Or what, what was the decision that you all got together to decide this particular game? I think it was kind of a combination of a few different elements. So primarily we thought we could make this game, um, which was a, a big factor in determining any of the games that we were thinking of making was, is it even going to be possible for us to, to finish this project? And in retrospect, this was a much more ambitious project than, than we really thought it was. Um, but the other thing was that uh, we were looking at games where we thought we could actually make something that was kind of world-class as well, you know, like something that, that we thought would actually be valuable for us to make and that there was nothing out there that was doing what we could do with it. Um, Tim had been working on this concept for quite some time, that like Cactus as a character is more than 10 years old, um, and he had an early prototype of, uh, of what he thought Cactus was. And we kind of got to, to grips with, like, how, how do you evolve the arcade space in 2015 was our, our take on it. And you know, we started developing the systems that we thought would be interesting for Cactus. We worked out we actually didn't have Jeff on board early on. Um, Tim mentioned it before, but uh, the original team was just Tim and I had quit our jobs and we were trying to figure out what we could do. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at what we could do with Cactus and actually went to Jeff for advice on help us find a composer. And he was so kind of enamored with the game that, that we were looking at making that he was like, all right, no, I'm not going to help you find a composer. I want to join the team instead. Which is great. <laughs> well, it is the Holy Trinity, right? I mean, you have the programmer, you have the designer, and bonus artist included. Well, yeah, I'd like to to be not so Trinity and have someone uh, someone who can help him with those tasks. <laughs> I wish that I could, but it's not my skill set. I see. So, take me through the process of what you individually do, because it seems like having you know three people involved, it, it, there's a lot of probably multitasking and and things that are outside of you know the normal purview of of what you might have done in the past. So, um, let's see. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I I started I started as um, I've always I've always dabbled in a lot of different. Um, Art areas. Um, I dabbled in programming primarily as a way to do stuff with my art, <laughs> but I started working in games as an animator. Um, I started on cutscenes and moved into gameplay because I found it more interesting. So that was that was my that was my strength, gameplay animation, I guess. But um, I was always one of the more um, I guess technical animators. I would I would be the guy they'd send over to talk with the programmers to, to yeah. decipher what they were saying. So I always I always had <laughs> wow, one foot in that. Wow, you are the unicorn, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I, I, I would. There would. Li we'd literally get into sometimes where the animation team would be in a panic and the programmers would be getting angry, and I would be like, "Just, just everyone, calm down. I'll just. I'll come back. I'll come back. I'll, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go sort this out." <laughs> and go across and be like, "So, what are you asking for? We can't fit it into memory. Okay, okay. So, so what's the issue here?" And I come back and like translate. And was, anyway, um, <laughs> I. I understand this. It's, and uh, the uh, there's been some funny funny little stories actually across the whole thing. And um, I can, uh, when I when I started at uh, Team Bondi, um, they didn't have any. Um, we had a programmer who was supposed to be writing tools for us for the animation team, but the program 
that was so uh, everything was on fire that, that our program had been pulled off and put on gameplay basically full time. So they'd hired a guy to help us write tools, but because they needed them on gameplay, we didn't get access to them ever. And so there's this whole animation team that didn't have anyone writing tools for them, and they're like, "What are we going to do?" And I'm like, "Well, how hard can it be?" So I started like hacking my way through <laughs> Famous scripts last and words. so on. <laughs> so that was that was interesting. That was all part of like learning extra stuff. But uh, so so I've I've stretched out to um, uh, obviously I, I, was, I did character modeling. I had a bit of a background of that, um, but I had to teach myself more about that. And um, and then programming, um, and that was massively helped by Unity, which made things a lot easier to learn for me. I think. It, it really clicked with me compared to other uh, programming environments I'd used before, and um, and then I just kind of kept going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so, Sonatin, uh, you have designer as your label, but that that's pretty widespread term. Can you specify what specifically the design part that you choose to work on are? are? Uh, so I work a lot on the uh, levels themselves, kind of the enemy waves, the character balance, the way that uh, the game plays, I guess. So Tim does a lot of that as well, but we kind of share that, that workload. And then I go in and, and handle the, the campaigns balance, the difficulty progression, a lot of that kind of thing. Um, so you're the also, one to blame. <laughs> I am definitely the one to blame if, if, the, if there's things wrong with uh, the game being too hard. Yeah. And unless it's uh, unless it's mines dropping on your head or little robot dogs that latch you, um, they're totally my my advocate uh, policy. Yeah, the mines that drop on your head are, are Tim's policy. Although I've relaxed how how much they draw drop on your head over the course of development. They used to drop on your head a lot more. Um, now they kind of drop somewhere near you, and they can drop on your head if you run into them. So, yeah, I, uh, that's that's the main area that I handle. I also do a little bit of light scripting, so some of the level behaviors, um, the one with all the, the blocks that reform into different mm-hmm. shapes, um, the endless level layouts, uh, some of the the more kind of easy-to-do scripting for the menu stuff as well, like the jukebox and things for, for me. Um, and then otherwise, I also work on a lot of the, the business side of things, handling all of the paperwork and emails and reaching out to people, organizing things, logistics, all that kind of stuff. So that's generally my, my areas. I think that's one of the things that the game is really known for, one of the things that shines about it is the levels. I mean, you know, you're, you're doing basically some actions that could be considered repetitive, but they never feel that way because of the placement of where you are and the environment that you're in and how the levels change to kind of engage you while you're doing things. Yeah, we we hit this interesting realization early on, actually, that um, once we got the battery system up and working, which adds this constant intensity to the game, and we realized it was a double-edged sword because when the game is constantly intense, it's good because it keeps you going. It's it feels like an arcade game. It had that experience we wanted, but um, you're you're really in danger of being fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, being intense all of the time is is exhausting and not enjoyable long term. And so we were really conscious of that. I think it's really important to not... Uh, like, games always inherently have downsides or weaknesses, but if you're aware of them, you can mitigate them or at least understand them. And for us, we said we needed um, variety. Like, uh, 
in a normal game, you'd, you'd say, oh, if you're doing the same thing all the time, let's add a stealth mission or let's add a escort mission or something like that. That's As much as people hate them, they're there for the pacing mix-up. But in Cactus, we actually had our hands tied, and we can't we can't slow the game down. We can't let you do something else. We can't have a driving mission. So instead, we tried to understand the what 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 an arena meant in the context of the game, and find as many different and interesting ways to present this high intensity arena based gameplay, but in different ways that would give you something interesting and kind of stimulate your mind and and basically stop the game from feeling just one note. And that was where the, the campaign came out. I see. I think having, I know it's a very simple thing, but having that second weapon that has, you know, more of a powerful kind of close range, assaultive kind of pushback also seems to help, like physically, when you begin to get to the point where you're just exhausted from, you know, aiming the reticle. I yeah. <laughs> that's really helpful, I found. Yeah, we try to uh, kind of push every character as far away from each other as possible too so that if you're having a bad experience or if you want to try something new, you can pick someone else and the way that you play is so drastically different uh, between a lot of them that it really feels fresh and exciting even if you're playing a lot of the same levels, um, which is a big focus on arcade games need to be very replayable. You know, I can still go and play Robotron today and it's kind of just as fun as the first time I played it. So being able to add that in with Cactus, with the characters, and adding variety without, without kind of dipping into that uh, RPG system as well that, that so many games seem to just want to move towards if they, they want to add a concept like variety. Yeah, it was also important... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was just say that there's an element of surprise. Like the first time you play a level, something might happen. You go, whoa, what's going on? But when you replay that level, it becomes an event. It's uh, it's like a top-down shooter where you just anticipate the thing coming in. And so it was really important that all of the levels worked on that level of being, oh, it's the whole ground change that was surprising. And then when you replay it, it's like, and now the ground changes, two, three, go, and you kind of flow into that and it complements the gameplay. Well, that yeah, replayability, I can see. I watched... <laughs> I, I, I watched um, Sonata... Play. Uh, he was trying to get all S pluses while we were waiting to stream, and just you know, clearly knowing exactly what everything's going to happen and where all the pieces are going to occur, uh, you know, is obviously a kind of key if you want to get some of those achievements and some of the higher level, uh, I guess, grades if you want to call them that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I noticed you're trying to play and talk simultaneously. I am. This is one of <laughs> the hardest games ever to do that, in my experience. Uh, originally, it had come out on Steam Greenlight, is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yep. We did go through... Uh, we went through Greenlight. Um, what was that and... experience like? Because I've heard mixed, mixed <laughs> interesting stories. Do you have any stories to share about we, Greenlight? We, we went through Greenlight when Greenlight was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> it's it's really uh, because it's, it's, it's all India. about votes, right? Mister Greenlight, is that what you are now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure people really understand how different Greenlight is today compared to what it was uh, nearly three years ago when when we went through it. Because the biggest change is simply the number of games that are trying to go through Greenlight, um, uh. because everything was proportional to the votes that you had. Um, when we went through Greenlight, you needed somewhere like 100 plus thousand votes to be anywhere near the top 10. 
Now, was that Jonah yeah, specific, the, was, or just in general for all games that were greenlighted? There was a massive bottleneck at the time. Um, greenlight was because uh, greenlight was Valve's solution to them not ha- um, them trying not to have to hand pick games selectively. They wanted the community to pick yeah. them, but they were letting through about um, I think at the time it was about like ten a month or something like that. Ten every and, couple of months. Yeah, yeah, and so it meant that they were picking the, the the top voted games or from the top voted games, but there were so many games that you needed ridiculous numbers of votes to even make it onto the top 100 list, let alone into that kind of coveted spot where you could actually be selected. Yeah, so for comparison's sake, our total votes that we ended up with uh, at the end of the green light process back then would have been much, much, much more than the current rank one game on the exist on the green light version of today. But back then, it was not even close to the top 100. Um, yeah, it added this odd dynamic that the only games that could um, hypothetically get through on the top ones either had to have a massive media campaign, um, they often had big Kickstarters behind them, or they were like, um, they had some other connection to them. Basically, they, they it was this ridiculous popularity yeah. contest where only only games that were already kind of high-flying somehow could get through it. So it didn't discover games. It only reinforced the hierarchy of this is a game that is getting mainstream coverage kind of thing. I see. It was, it was more about dynamic. what's going to actually sell than discovering you know new indie games that wanted to be showcased. Yeah, or letting the community kind of vet games and say these are the games we want to let through. It was actually it was these are the games that are famous. Yeah, <laughs> wow. they can get through Greenlight, which was which I don't think was entirely the intent of Greenlight, which is why they overhauled it. But it was a very scary time at the moment because we're looking at our stats, we're getting people through, and we're like, uh, how's this going to work? Hi. <laughs> okay. Well, we won't talk any more about Steam because Valve could be listening. We won't. <laughs> hey, the current green that's a lot better I think it's yeah. a system has evolved quite well to allow games to get through and release on the platform um, I'm kind of happy that Steam has moved away from being a big gatekeeper and now it's a a more like a platform where you, you develop your game and then the gatekeeper is trying to, you trying to get it in front of other people's eyes I have a bunch of really innocuous questions but I have to know the answer to so here sure. they come why are most of the androids named after food? <laughs> well, it's because, well, they're not that food. They're, they're plants. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Things that one could eat. Come on, lemon. Uh, yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so, well, cactus, uh, cactus is named Cactus because she has green hair. Um, and, uh, and she came first. I think uh, not mentioned that before. But uh, uh, and it seemed to... Like I like naming themes. <laughs> Her arch nemesis uh, in the in the game is uh, is uh, named is was named uh, licorice, so it's got mm-hmm. the, the the another plant theme, and um, so it's, it seemed natural to go. And it had a character with red hair, so it's like, uh, what could she be called? Holly. There we go. That that works great. And then from then it was just you got to keep the theme right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your opinion, the difference between androids and robots for you? <laughs> well, see, yeah, I mean, strictly speaking, the, the difference is androids look like people. That's the, that's the, the point of, of android versus robot. 
Um, in the context of the game, there's this distinction that Androids use a fundamentally different technology. So the idea is that they're using like the next, they're using a core which makes them more human-like. That's that's why the Androids, the characters and characters don't talk like robots and kind of thing. They 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 seem very personable because they they basically operate like people. So in in the in the world of Cactus, Androids and robots are actually different things. Calling an Android a robot is considered like derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> is this the core defect in sec index? Is that what you're talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's part of the the law. Is the the idea that um, these cores are created, but they're not. It's not. They're not quite like uh, computer chips. They're um, they're forged, and then they can come out. You, you you can analyze them and figure out how how well they came out, but only to a degree. It's kind of like scanning a scanning a human putting a, a brain through a um, MSI kind of thing to look for look to see if things look okay but you don't really know what the androids like until you turn it on so that was that which is another big part of it like they have personalities so I'm gonna say her name wrong but Albergine I'm waiting for her to like oh. rebel and decide to join the robots <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen you don't think oh okay no no revolution in the android lab. No. She's very duty bound. I see. Could, uh... Besides, the robots have licorice. They don't. They don't need aubergine. <laughs> now, clearly, the name. What's the story of Ack? Because you know it sounds like Ack. <laughs> why? Why this? Because I always want to trip on it and say that it's Android Assault Cactus instead yeah. of Assault Android so, Cactus. So we went back and forth on names a lot, and. Um... The <laughs> it's supposed I would say it's supposed to be a kind of triple barrel um, name in the same type of you know assault suit Vulcan or uh, battle angel or leader or those kind of um, uh, Japanese rep kind of style where you have the the two descriptive words then the character name um, kind of kind of game to to kind of uh, like I guess reference back to that kind of feel and that kind of age but unfortunately the android. And the assault both tag it as uh, what do you say, kind of mobile focused or <laughs> yeah. you know, assault is a really loaded word now because if you call your game something assault, you expect it to be kind of a bit low rent and about lots and lots of uh, enemies swarming you. Have you got anything to add to that, Matt? Uh, uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I understand this is available on Steam, Windows, Mac, Linux uh, with achievements. And I heard mention of trading cards. So is that happening? Is that something I missed? Yeah, yeah, we've got trading cards in. I, I worked really hard on those. Um, oh. uh, I went back and forth on, on, how, to, on how to do them as well. Um, was, was asking, because you look at them and they're, they're not really cards. They're like, they're like images. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I ended up going with the theme of um, a lot of the cards are all, they're all, Kind of, uh, most of them are previous to the story, so they kind of give you a bit of an insight into what the what was going on before you joined the game, which okay. I was I was really happy with. Sonantin, what's with beards and men in the gaming industry? Well, my beard is just because of development. <laughs> it's a development beard designed to uh, like motivate me to finish the game. Because now finish it technically. When you're done? What's yeah, the... technically I can shave it now. I just haven't yet. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not sure what's going on with the beard thing. Maybe beards are just awesome. 
Well, I, I, I've just been, well, I realize I've got glasses, I've got the brown hair, so I've just been growing the beard so I can kind of step back and camouflage myself at any game de- development event. I see. <laughs> it's part of blending in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, I understand. So recently having launched, you know, did you have a, a launch party? Is this considered, you know, time for you now to to relax? Because it sounded like you had done, I think Tim was just saying this morning that you had done some changes to the controller um, programming aspect. Like, can you guys relax now? And is this considered, you know, mostly, I mean, other than updates and some of the um, new work that you will do to develop things later? Like, can you take a rest now? I think we're going to have to roll on pretty quickly to um, to the next thing in the console versions of the game. Yeah, so we've got the we've got the the console versions. Um, we're, we're like PS4 um, coming uh, first part of 2016. Yeah, and um, still, and we've got the the Vita and the Wii U stuff hitting around as well. Um, it's good because we're not. That's we it, it runs pretty well on the PS4. We've been displaying it at uh, conventions for for a while now, which is good. Get get some live feedback on it. But there's a few little things that are good to clean up and fix up and. Um, so there's still some work to go on that. Although it's good because the content's actually done. So we're now dealing with like a, a fixed target. The the update I was talking about. There's just a couple of little um, housekeeping tasks basically that have come up since launch that I'm taking care of. And then hopefully, hopefully we have to leave the Steam version alone for a little bit and just um, concentrate on the console ports, which should be good. You don't want to leave icons for a mouse clicks on your final. Uh, icons, which... which <laughs> I'm teasing you for your big developer successful game that left the ex, the export uh, badly done for the PC. I'm saying you don't want to send it to consoles with any kind no. of... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it already, we've already done that. It's, it's, in fact, if you plug a, 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 a DualShock 4 into a PC, it'll show the PlayStation buttons. So. Ah, I just, I just plugged in a, my controller over here, which is just like a, a game... Here, I'll show it on the camera for those who are looking. And it did recognize it, so that's why we can do co-op. Um, it's just a Mad Cats, you know, controller, and it did recognize oh, yeah, yeah. it, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, one, of, one of the funny things is on Windows, um, anything that pretends to be a, uh, a Xbox pad hmm. shows up as an Xbox pad, and we actually can't tell the difference, but uh, it should work. That's the important thing. It but does, a few, and that's few good. Pads. Most of them don't recognize it. I was really impressed that it hit. A lot of games don't recognize Mad Cats as, as an Xbox gamepad. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's odd. Yeah, <laughs> I was happy. I just plugged it in and it knew. Well, chalk one up for our input solution, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so do you do you want um, to 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 play and show us how it's truly done versus you know my single player running around? Sonata let's all judge. Play. Let's all judge an art. Yeah. Sure. I will. Uh, I will screen share away. All right. Let me, let me get you up here. Um. Share screens. All right. Who should I play? Who do you play? Me? Yeah. Oh, I'm just... 
I'm mostly in cactus. I've done like coral a couple times, but I'm not high enough levels to really feel comfortable with. I like to go through them in order. <laughs> I can play some coral. Talk to people about the game. So this is the game. I people were seeing it earlier, of course, but uh, I show you some of the later levels. So this yeah. is World Two. It's not super difficult by the time you get to World Two, but it's a little bit harder than it was before. Is the uh, screen sharing working? Yeah, it's great. So Carl has a shotgun as her primary weapon, as you can see. And then her secondary weapon that I'm swapping over to is this plasma field that actually reflects bullets and damages anything that walks into it. So I can just leave that there and it will zap everyone like a big bug zapper as they get close. <laughs> a, bit, a big part of the, uh, the character design ended up giving them... Um the kind of roles and personalities and uh, Coral's became, she's this kind of uh, close range brawler basically. So her, both her primary and her secondary weapon kind of work best at uh, close to medium range, which was um, some of the characters have uh, uh, secondary weapons that directly aug like augment the weaknesses of their primary weapon. But Coral kind of double downs on um, being area control, which makes it really cool. Uh, kind of gives her a different, different feel to the other, starting four. Yeah, I think it's interesting to change your, you know, inherent reaction is to run away, but having the secondary weapon where you want to run into the group and use that is, is kind of counterintuitive, but it takes a little bit to get used to, and once you do, it's really effective. Yeah, we do a lot, like, the, the biggest rule, of, I guess, in Cactus is that you should run down the enemies like you have to be aggressive you have to you, get, you have to get up in their face because uh the battery is what is keeping you going and you get the battery from destroying enemies so it's on you effectively and that's the if that's almost the biggest uh innovation or the the it, tur it turns a lot of the twin stick john uh conventions on their head which is nice but it does take a while to get used to. Like you'll see a lot of people when they play the boss for the first time, they'll keep their distance and they'll try to like outrange them and chip away at them and wait for them to die because that's mm -hmm. how you play a, a top-down shooter or, or any other kind of game where you're just whittling away at the boss and waiting waiting them out. But in Cactus, that's actually how you lose. <laughs> if you're not getting up in there, if you're not getting up close to them to do a lot of damage, then um, it's on you to damage the boss, and it's up to the boss to keep you away and keep you distracted, whether that's knocking you down or whether it's just keeping you far away so you're not using your secondary weapons. And once you get, once you understand that, that the bosses are effectively wanting to make you time out, the game becomes a lot more dynamic, I think, or a lot more interesting. You get, you get to see a bit more of the true game, I think. I got you. I think that's my, my problem is I'm always kind of staying around the border edges and trying to whittle things down because I feel like if I walk into them, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> I just have to get in there and be more aggressive. Yeah, and, w and once you kind of let go of that and go, right, I'm just going to dive in, hope for the best, and try to, like, uh, dodge when I can. Um, it's a lot of, like what I was saying before about the iterative design, um, it's why there's a, a five-hit-point health system. Um, normally... Uh, these kind of games have a one hit and you're dead. And we did that both because it's a 3D game and the positional accuracy isn't quite as good. It's harder to judge where a bullet is. We've done our best with shadows and other things to help 
but we can't guarantee that you you will have a perfect understanding of where all the bullets are at all times. Mm -hmm. So we give you a little bit of um, little bit of um, buffer basically. But the other thing is we actually want you to be aggressive. It's like Halo, where you have a shield so you can take a couple of hits and then you can let it recharge. So we're saying as long as you can go stretches where you're not getting hit at all, it's okay to take damage sometimes because that's part of the game. We want you to be aggressive and we want you to risk it versus being conservative. How important do you feel that uh, the map is in a game like this um, versus FPS where it's kind of all important? Like hiding behind these like, blocks or, you know, position, I guess you'd say, in the world. taking Yeah, I mean, terrain. it's because we're, everything's set on a flat plane um, and it becomes really clear when you play first person. Like it's, they're not, it's not a good first person map because there's no elevation. But for, for a, a twin-stick shooter, um, it's... You have um, a, you basically have walls, floor space, and cavities. They're your they're your three um, uh, elements. So you can either have space you can walk on and shoot across, space you can shoot across but you can't walk on, and space that blocks fire. And um, we thought about that a lot with the level designs because the ability to hide behind a wall or or corral enemies into a spot or to use a gap to give yourself distance while you whittle away enemies is really important and actually changes the way it plays. And uh, I kind of thought of that they're like my uh, my colors in my on my palette. <laughs> Effectively, oh, so when, I failed. Oh, geez, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 so yeah, and like the ability to say like it's it's huge. Like the boss arenas actually do away with that. We just give you this big open space uh -huh. uh, because it's about it's about kind of understanding that space. But for the rest of the levels, that ability to go. There's a wall here. Can I use that? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for this character? It was really important. Um, a lot of the game isn't about us telling you, like, giving you a lock and key solution. It's it's about us dropping a bunch of tools on the ground and saying, you should be able to do something with this. We have some people in chat, and I'm wondering if they would be interested in asking a couple of questions. And you know, are you guys willing to, to <laughs> depending on what they ask, to answer some? <laughs> sure. Okay, chat, if you want to answer questions, just start writing them, and uh, while they're playing, I'll just kind of call them out to them. There's a lot of love happening for various characters <laughs> that, are, that are favorites right now. Coral, Starge. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that were wrong with the characters, is that I wanted each character to be hypothetically someone's favorite character where they just go no this is my character this is the character i identify with most maybe it's because of their mannerisms or the, the style or maybe it's just because of the way they play and that felt important like I, I thought about a lot of games i played growing up and how you'd identify with certain characters or street fighter where people pick their favorite and go this is my character and um while it's not quite as in depth as street fighter i kind of wanted people to have that um attachment i guess or, and give them something that they could get attached to. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this is—it's really kind of an interesting light show. You know, it's beautiful to watch at the same time, terrifying. Yeah, that was, that was a huge thing I wanted to capture. Actually, is that is that, is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Like, we get a, a lot. People see it at conventions, and they'll see a harder level being played, and they'll go, I don't even know what's going on. And I'll tell them, oh, it's okay, your eyes will adapt. And they laugh, but it's kind of true. Like, after a while, you, you're you not supposed to take in every de detail. You're supposed to let it wash over you, and that's kind of the thrill of it. Um, you can kind of 
over time you can just start getting used to it. It's like there's bullets over here, there's explosions over here, there's there's firepower over here, and it's kind of wonderful. It's like hearing a, a really big band sound where just it's a wall of sound and you know so many experiences mixing together. Oh, I have a question for you from Para 8D. I love Infinity Drive slash Daily Drive the most, but I feel that some characters aren't as powerful for their large arena. Thoughts on this? Hmm. I don't think that it's wrong, necessarily. There are definitely characters... Ah, uh, see, talking and playing already downed me. Um, <laughs> there are definitely characters that uh, are more suited to some of the layouts in those modes. Like, Starch does well because her secondary weapon can cover a larger space. Um... As does uh, Coral can kind of do well in the daily drive because she can deal with a lot of scenarios quite well with her plasma plasma field. But I think overall the characters are quite well balanced against each other that it's kind of an inevitable that some level layouts will favor some weapon combinations. Um, you know, you can see across the campaign that different characters end up plus or minus 5% of each other's scores and that's how the the top of the game is played out is that someone will have a near perfect score on Chitake or something um, that can't be touched by another character but then another character will beat Chitake on a different level which has a different layout and suits their weapons a little bit better so it's kind of um, I know I think it's a byproduct of the nature of the game and it's not something that you can really solve and I hope that people will find new strategies that uh, help them excel with unexpected characters? I think there's definitely uh, situations that characters are better and worse at handling at, and that's actually intentional, or rather it's, it's unavoidable to the point that it's intentional. Um, I had this great revelation once when I, was trying, uh, when I was playing through Infinity Drive with uh, Shitake and um, realizing that there are certain parts like when a lot of wasps, the, the smallest enemies, show up. Um, she has a real hard time with them because her railgun isn't good at taking them out. So instead, she's re entirely reliant on her secondary weapon. But that was a really nice identity feeling to that. It's like this is a this is part of this is a situation she struggles with, and you can make up for it by doing really good mind placement. And so now it's on you to do, to use your minds really well during those parts. And it's like that's cool. That's actually a, an extra layer of depth to the game that I wasn't even expecting to find that popped out at me. And, uh, but she's viable, but she, you have to work for it. And then at other points, she has an easier time with things. And it's like, it's nice. <laughs> uh, Valiant Cheese asks, is there a dark boss rush mode, something you guys would like to bring to the game at some point? Some point. Some point we, is the key word in that sentence. Yeah, we, we always, always had a kind of idea to do like a, 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 a remixed campaign, which would be like a, a dark version of the whole game kind of thing. Um, but it's it's it kind of it fell out. It was on the bubble in terms of uh, what we could get done, and it's one of those things that I don't want to I don't want to do something uh, badly. I'd rather leave it out than than kind of do something that doesn't doesn't properly give justice to the the idea. But it's definitely it's definitely an idea. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> On asking where you'll go from here, I've read a couple interviews saying that you're going to focus on Cactus and, you know, go that direction. Do you have plans for other projects or is continued expansion something that you really kind of see in the future? I think the plan is to just finish all the versions of Cactus primarily. So 
I don't actually think, like, right now I couldn't tell you what the next project's going to be. Um, I can tell you that even if it is Cactus, I can't imagine it being this exact style of game, because I think that we kind of said everything we could about this style of game with Cactus. It would have to be a different take on shoot-em-ups if it even was a shoot-em-up. So, I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I think we will make firmer decisions on once we're done with uh, all the things we've committed to right now on PS4, Vita, Wii U. On a game like this that's arcade-based, I'm almost surprised they didn't go console as a first-release option. Is there reasoning for the PC choice? Well, PC is uh. an open platform, so it's a natural natural place to start development of anything. Um, yeah, it's mostly it's 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 more accessible. It's it's kind of a lot easier to reach. Do you think you'll have a larger audience for consoles? I suspect so. I think um especially considering reactions at uh at conventions and things like that that a lot of people see this kind of game as being a better fit for their TV and their couch and when friends come over, especially the local co-op. Um, mm-hmm. We get a lot of people who um, are quite um, frustrated that we, we released an, a, a local co-op game on Steam and they see, like, they see it as a slight that we don't have network multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you will game. socialize. I will make you socialize yeah. with your friends in person. Have a and party. It's, it's been a, it's been a point of frustration because obviously we think the game holds up as a as a single player game. We wouldn't have released it as we had if we didn't. Um, and the multiplayer is basically a bonus. It's kind of if you and if of course if you have friends over, they they can sit at your PC or you can connect your PC to a TV. You can do Steambox. You can do all these options. Like local co-op totally works in a PC environment, and it's not going to work for everyone, and that's okay because we have you know, leaderboards and um, a really good single player game. And that's the heart of the game. That's the skill-based game. It's kind of like um, Ikaruga is arguably a better game single-player than it is co-op, but it does have co-op. There's often a misconception among PC players, I think, as well, in that uh, a game that has co-op is a co-op game. It seems very strongly kind of ingrained in that space. Um, Yeah. And Death Cactus is definitely not a co-op game by default. It's definitely a single-player game with a co-op mode. Um, but, but I think on P- PS4, it'll, um, it'll, that, that will seem less unreasonable. I mean, I'm sure there'll be people that will still not be happy about it, but, uh, and I think the, the, kind of the, the style of gameplay, the immediacy of it, 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 just, it might be a better fit. We're, we're hoping it will be. And we're hoping it will reach a better audience of um, like a, a, a more focused audience, I think. That's looking for that kind of game. Okay, yeah. I wonder if people will um, like hack it in a good way to be able to do some of those things. It's unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Defeated already. Oh no. Okay. Any last questions, chat? Before we close out, we're almost at an hour here. Oh, this is an intense level. I haven't seen this one. This is the last non-boss level in the game. It's very tricky. And it's very hard to play and talk. <laughs> yeah, this, this is an inter- interesting level as well because it doesn't... Technically, there's no, um, there's no blockers in the level, but there are constant floor hazards. So instead, you have these regions 
it's dynamic in the sense that there's all these regions where you can't stand because you'll get set on fire, but you can move anywhere. So it's kind of up to you to de decide how you can use that space. I forgot to ask course, you if you guys were gamers as children. Like, when did you become enamored of video games? I probably started around the age of five, I think, when my neighbor had a Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, my family was a bit too poor to own our own consoles at the time, but I played on his system every single day. That thing was awesome. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, one of the best games ever made. And Kung Fu, which no one respects, is one of the best action <laughs> games ever made. I never played that one, so I can't say. Um, we also used to make kind of games that weren't necessarily video games with my brother. We would kind of create our own little games, Dungeons and Dragons style experiences, and he would make the characters physical models. He was, he was an artist like that, so I kind of grew up with this idea of creation and gaming, even if it wasn't video games. Yeah, I, 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 was, I, was into, um, I was into video gaming from, I think, I guess the first time I saw it. My, we never had uh, game consoles, but my dad was working in IT, so we had an Apple IIc when I, was, when I was growing up, which had various games on it. And um, funnily enough, I remember, like, I think I was like eight or something, and my dad was trying to teach me Apple Basic. And um, he had to give up and come back to it later because... All I wanted, to, I didn't want to learn how to write Hello World and do the proper programming stuff. All I wanted to do was make robots move around on the screen. Yeah. So now I can make robots move yes. around on the screen. <laughs> Go! You, you fulfillment but, uh, but of a actually, childhood dream right here. Yeah, yeah it, it, looking back, it makes me feel extremely one note. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it makes me, but like I have, I've been trying to, I guess I've actually wanted to make games forever basically like it's it's through high school i knew i wanted to make video games and people were telling me that's not a realistic proposition and i was like sure it is i'm gonna make video games i don't know exactly how but i'll just figure out where video games are made and then i'll get them to give me a job and i did <laughs> and it's so it's kind of been a um, i've worked a lot with animators and um often they'll talk about how what they really want to work on is like they want to work at uh, pixar and make you know mm. make amazing animation type things and i was like always had this funny feeling because it's like now nah, I want to make games like maybe I want to work on a, on a on a bigger better game but like I'm happy where I am this is this is what I want to do uh, so that's been a, a single single-minded focus the game especially indie I guess environment in Australia has been struggling for a while trying to uh, you know get I know a lot of youth is, are growing up there wanting to become game developers and, and game programmers and things like that, and it seems like it's a really hard industry to get into, especially for Australia. Like, what are your feelings about that? It's gone through a really hard time, I think. Um, when when, uh, when uh, We used to have quite a few game companies, um, obviously not a huge amount, but we had uh, Ratbag and Adelaide uh, Chrome up in Brisbane that ex slowly expanded into different places and for a while was Australia's biggest independent game company. Uh, and we had major studios, so we had like THQ um, uh, or Pandemic, which had their sister company in LA, and um, uh, or Sega through Creative Assembly, and uh, oh, there's a few other ones. <laughs> but we, So we had major studios, we had small studios in Melbourne. There was, there was basically a, a fairly healthy ecosystem of, game, uh, of studios. 
both independently operated and also, you know, uh, internationally based. And it all kind of collapsed. They've, all the big studios have folded or pulled out. Uh, a lot of the smaller studios went under. Um, there's been a real resurgence of indie developers uh, lately because, uh, like, small, very small indie teams and mobile developers. But there's nothing to replace what we had before where we had larger studios employing 80, 90, 100 people kind of thing, which is a shame because they're the best places for, like, students or people wanting to get into games to kind of to go into. Uh, indie development is great, but it's really hard. It's it's grueling. It's not something you should take on lightly. Uh, and it's it's sad that the uh, the path I took, which was to join join Ratbag as a junior animator and 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 learn the ropes, is basically closed off in Australia right now. It's it's not. There's no longer a path there. Well, hopefully, people like you will continue to make studios and get big enough to hire young, promising uh, animators and other people and continue the tradition of, uh, of game design in Australia. Look at yourselves as mm. pioneers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> do you have dreams of being like a larger, you know, completely self-sufficient studio, or do you want to stay small and, and uh, kind of tight? I think growing by one or two people would be nice so that there's more more people who can look over like the art and code separately. Um because I think I there's think, a lot of pressure on Tim, but otherwise I'd, I don't want I don't have any interest in running like a big thirty to hundred person game studio. That's uh, that's just not something that interests me. Yeah, I, I think, and I've seen uncontrolled growth kill teams and studios. It's it's a really dangerous trap. Um, it's ironic that a team getting too much money too quickly can actually grind everything to a halt. <laughs> Just some sense. scope group, or yeah, yeah, it, it it kind of because there's some feeling that you know you you have to sh- you have to ship a bigger and better product, and that's a really dangerous thing to drop on a team actually, um, because there's that feeling that oh, if we're making a good product with three people, then we should make a great product with nine people, or a fantastic product with twenty people, but you're actually taking on completely different um, managerial and coordination problems, and you don't get to scale that anywhere near the way you think you do. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, a, a pattern that happens a lot in the games industry is that if a, if a project gets cancelled, um, they'll, to try to, uh, to save people's jobs, they'll, they'll, they'll transfer as many people as they can from the cancelled project onto another project, which often dooms the, the project that they're trying to help because the sudden influx of people means the culture doesn't adapt and you know, everything kind of... It's, it's, it's scary. Like, I think... Growth has to be carefully planned and uh, carefully cultivated. But, you know, obviously being able to do bigger and better projects is exciting. Makes sense. So if people want to find this project and support Cactus, where would they go? You would search for any combination of the words assault, android, cactus. <laughs> that could be Google, so bad. Don't ever do that. <laughs> it's fine. No, no, no. We come up oh, first, look up the great. word like, assault. It's, it's fine. Just if you search for two of the three, it'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, make sure you get cactus in there. Um, sometimes you can insert <laughs> other like random plants, and it'll still work. But random plants, okay. There you yep. go. And there's you a free demo on Steam. Uh... You can uh, download as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I recommend that to people. I think having the demo is is very helpful. Cool. 
Okay, well, thank you guys so much. If anyone wants to follow you on Twitter or social media sites, where would they go? Uh, at Android Cactus on Twitter. Um, there's also our personal accounts at Sanatana Mishra and at Ironic Account. And if you look on Facebook, just find Android uh, Cactus, Assault Android Cactus as well. Yeah, or AssaultAndroidCactus.com, which yeah. also has links to the other places as well. So I they all kind of link across to each other, hopefully. Yeah, if, if you search, <laughs> seriously, if you search for any two of those three words, <laughs> you will find all of these things. <laughs> yes, chat says that Cactus is the result when they, when they search for Assault Android. Look, DARPA has been replaced. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, you can find me at Gray Area Podcast or at Genesee on Twitter. Or go to iTunes and do a search for the Gray Area Podcast, where this will be live hopefully tomorrow. And uh, you can watch the whole thing again. Bye, <laughs> Bye.